Hello, my friends, and in this latest episode of TWSD, we're going deep diving into sales. My guest has been raising money for the X-Men franchise, Planet of the Apes, and even Avatar. This guy knows sales, and he knows the academic side of sales. You need to get into this if you want to be progressing your sales in your business. Welcome to the Tea with Steve podcast with me, your host, Stephen Thompson. This is the show dedicated to helping you find your heart brand, your purposeful and profitable personal brand. I believe that everyone has a heart brand. It's their authentic self to drive growth in themselves and those around them, which has a positive impact in our world. We are in a who era. The who is being unapologetically you, and that is your heart brand. So join me in impacting one billion lives. Now let's get into the show. Hey everyone, how are you doing? It's Stephen here from Tea with Steve. In this, in this latest episode, I have Patrick Thought with me, who is a Amazon and best-selling author with regards to sales. And we had a conversation off um, off the podcast, and we shared. He shared some insights with me around the stuff that he's been doing, and I had to have him on the podcast when he mentioned about raising finance for Hollywood movies. And I'm a bit of a movie geek, so Patrick's been in the sales industry for 13 years with financial and technological services. I'm going to shut up now and let Patrick introduce himself. Patrick, how are you? Very well, thanks, Stephen. Great to be here. Excellent. So for the people that don't know you or don't know you yet, can you um, share a bit about yourself, um, sort of your history, background, what you've been doing? And obviously I've dropped the, the Hollywood bit in. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, happy to. Um, yeah, so my full name is Patrick Thorpe. I've been working in the sales game for 13 years uh, now. And so obviously if you want to have to do some quite crude maths, you can figure out that I came into the job market pretty much when the world was starting to fall apart in 2007 uh, and 2008, and obviously the, the rebound after that. Um, I've held quite a few different styles of sales roles, but predominantly they've been all B2B or business-to-business sales roles, which is very different to business-to-consumer, um, and it involves um, selling fully integrated marketing services, um, um, merchant banking, um, and a, a lot of uh, tech sales as well. But as you mentioned, um, for, quite, for quite a lot of my career, I was working for a large film financier um, here in my hometown of London. Um, and my job was to raise money to get Hollywood films produced and made. How on earth did you get into that? Um, I wouldn't, I mean, I'd like to say, oh, it was back and I fell into it. I didn't fall into it. It was, uh, it was a job that came up that looked interesting and I applied for it. Um, but it was, um, it, it's very interesting because as soon as you start to think about it laterally of how um, films are to be made, especially in this country, there is a dearth of talent when it comes to directors, actors, you know, we've got Pine, we have Shepparton, um, Gordon Brown bringing in tax credits in, in the Labour government in 97 to encourage investment in the British film industry. But obviously a lot of what the directors require is the capital to get the money, uh, or sorry, capital to get the films made. Um, and there isn't an infinite supply of money. Um, and so there needs to be ways in which um, the producers um, can get their hands on it. Um, and so film financiers are there to really give a lifeline to get a lot of these great projects made. Um, so yeah, there was some there was some really interesting 
films that we that I helped raise money for. Um, Avatar was a big one. Um, obviously, it's the highest grossing film of all time. I think it still has that moniker, actually. Um, and Planet of the Apes uh, franchise, the X-Men franchise. But then you've got some other ones. Um, Wimbledon was one. Uh, I mean, there's been loads. But um, uh, there was The Counselor, which was another one, which I seem to remember. Uh, Drop, which was James Gandolfini's last film. I don't know if you're a Sopranos fan, Stephen, but uh, that was quite that was a popular yeah. one. Yeah. Um, and um, almost too many to to remember and mention. Um, but it's interesting because film is an emotive. Um, emotive subject for people. They might say, well, look, I like that particular actor, I like that particular um, director, or I, I like, I'm a Star Wars fan, so I'll definitely go and see the next Star Wars um, uh, installment. I'm not a Star Wars fan, by the way, I'm just a, a by way of example. Um, but, you know, it's, um, it, it, is, it is very emotive. However, um, film is still an asset class, so you would still um, talk about the dull aspects of investment in terms of um, rate of return and what could I expect if I invest a pound, what could I get back and um, how much do you charge as an asset manager, um, similar to you would with an equity portfolio or fixed income or, you know, or, or, and, and commodities or anything like that. So um, it just meant that talking about it from a sales perspective, I wouldn't say it was made easier, it was just a bit more straightforward because film and TV are interesting things to talk about. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I'm a bit of a, a film geek and I, I am a Star Wars fan. I must say, if I look around my office now, I think there's Star Wars memorabilia all over it. I've got Darth Vader's mask, okay. Troopers. I've even got a drone, which is an X-Wing. So, oh, wow. okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little bit a little bit addicted. Right. But so you've gone you've gone through you've got all of this experience. How did you being an author on Sales Genius come about? Because for people who don't know it out there, Sales Genius 2 um, is a collaborative book, um, is now an Amazon number one bestseller. Um, I was a, 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 a contributor to, um, to Sales Genius 1. Um, and it's it, wow. I was very humbled when I, when I was approached saying, you know, would you be interested? And I was like yeah what am i going to write about and then it was very much oh actually i sell in my business all all the time but because i don't directly sell um everything comes from brand i'm interested to know sort of what your take was on being part of sales genius too and then the sort of the the content and the delivery so that people can learn from it mm. um so similar to you i was firstly very humbled when um Andrew Priestley, the editor of um, Sales Genius 2 and obviously Sales Genius 1 yep. approached me. I suppose the genesis is that um, the business that I um, uh, work with now is a, is a sales consultancy firm in London called Sales for Startups. Um, yep. This is a business that um, helps seed to Series A, B2B, SaaS companies, um, often who have technical founders, to rapidly scale their revenue through uh, proven systems. And it was set up by a chap called James Kerr-Reed, who's the CEO and founder. And he was also a contributor to Sales Genius One. Yes, he was. Um, and um, I um, should have perhaps prepared more accordingly, but I forget what the topic that he wrote on in Sales Genius One was. Um, otherwise, I'd credit him further um, right now, but I can't, so I won't. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, so Andrew had 
uh, approached me and asked me um, whether it would be of interest and whether I had something that I thought worthy to contribute because he was thinking of putting together uh, a number of other professionals. And um, similar to yourself, you know, jumped at the chance and thought it would be really interesting. The difference, though, I think, between yourself and me um, is that when I was approached, weirdly, for a particular... um, business I was working on behalf of, I had something that could be written up into an article relatively quickly. Um, so actually the um, the period of thought um, discerning what would make an applicable article, I didn't really have to worry about because I was going through something at the time. Um, not to say that the article was itself, but um, the majority of it was uh, was already there as a as a use case that I was going through right at the time. So what was it? What was the process you were doing and what was the type of, were you selling a product or a service or was mm. it a was it a plan that you were putting together for the company to do that? Yeah, so um, it was a business that was uh, very much in the disruptive tech space. So they were a um, distributed ledger technology business. Um, so it was selling infrastructure um, and so effectively what they're doing is um, saying this is the infrastructure, this is the plumbing you should use as a developer on which you should build, on which you should build your decentralized application. Um, I won't go into DLT and blockchain because that could take up hours and hours and hours, um, but um, it, was set, it was selling a service. Now I was there for a couple of days a week. Um, with the other days working on a completely different business. Um, And my job uh, as the global sales director for this infrastructure business was to um, generate sales and interest um, in the form of uh, what was called an MOU, so Memorandum of Understanding, or similar to a letter of intent, I suppose. Um, And um, because I was only there two days, I was asking myself the question, well, what is the best way of me to optimize my time whilst I'm only there for two days? Surely there must be a way that I can generate leads and generate interest and use all of this available technology and stack it all together so that when I come in on a, what was a Wednesday and Thursday, my diary is already populated with people that have requested a meeting or have scheduled a meeting with me so that when I'm there in the office, I'm only speaking to prospects. All the heavy lifting lead gen um, machine is turning in the background whilst I'm not on site. Um, And to me, I thought, well, there's enough software out there but the problem is going to be, well, which software do I use? How do I stack it together? In what order do I stack it? And is this actually going to work? Yep. Um, so it took me um, probably two or three weeks really thinking about this and trying and testing um, different versions um, to finally come up with the order in which I wrote the article, um, starting from ha- where do you actually find particular particular people to go after? And then how do you filter that down into such an extent where you're hopefully walking into your office and you've got your diary populated with new people interested to learn more about your about your product? So it sounds fantastic. 
absolutely fantastic i would love something that was in the background working and i come in on a monday morning and say right okay these are your leads this is your diary so uh, how does how does it work there'll be so many people who'll be interested to know because we there's so many sales systems sales funnels out there that try this try that run a facebook ad get people into your list and i'm like oh my god yeah. it's it's i mean we did a program last year um when we worked on with a sales company and and system and process and then there was a funnel and there was a you know a, a free product and this that and the other and it was the, the stuff that we weren't told we had to then go away and learn it took us twice as long to get it live mm-hmm. so how do you make it easier yeah. <laughs> is my question yeah 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 no good question so the the um the, the fact is that there is a lot of there's a lot of sales technology out there, um, and at the risk of sounding hopelessly political, it really depends on um, the size of business, where you are in your um, in your genesis, and, and what you're looking to try and achieve. So I'll use um, uh, this particular order um, because the business was um, at a stage where it just needed to have more and more people come into the uh, into the funnel. Yeah. Um, so, um, and, and I should say that the this is not the list of technologies that I talk about in the chapter. They're not ones, or it's not to say that these are these have been independently verified as the absolute best. They just worked for me. Okay. Um, so that, I suppose that's, that's important uh, to say. And there are there are obviously some things which um, I don't talk about, which I'll come back to, uh, which I didn't uh, didn't include in the. Um, in, in this particular workflow. But I think for someone to pick up how to use this stuff, if you can outline a workflow in saying, this is step one, then you do step two, then you do step three, then you do step four, people could just follow those steps and hopefully influence themselves. So the first thing that I talk about is um, using a particular service called Crunchbase. Um, now, for anyone who's involved in um, certainly technology sales or selling to tech companies, um, Crunchbase is probably quite a well-known resource because it has so many markers in terms of who bought who, who's got recent funding, um, the founders' names, all these kind of things. And what that allows you to do is do quite a quick search with lots of different um, um, search markers to give you what's called your total addressable market, i.e. The, the amount of the size of the market or the people included in the market that you think potentially could be interested in your product or service. So first step, going on to Crunchbase, um, playing around with their search um, criteria, which is pretty self-explanatory and pretty user-friendly, to be fair, um, and really coming up with a, um, with, with, a, with, a uh, with a total addressable market um, list. Um, then what I talk about is going into a um, into a kind of filtering system. Um, now, the, what I mean by this is um, looking to filter it as a data scientist would. And I'm a bit of a um, a, a G Suite fan, to be fair. I'm not I'm not really a Microsoft Office type person. Just feel that the suite of applications across Google um, just sort of works for me better. So Google Docs, Google. Google Sheets, slides, etc. Yeah. Um, and but because um, you can download the findings from Crunchbase into a Google Sheet, um, it's 
pretty um, it's pretty user friendly. You have to do a little bit of stuff with script editor, um, which for me as not a techie techie guy, I found quite complicated. Slash yeah. outs- outsourced to a dead friend of mine to do it for me. That was going to be my, that was gonna be my next thing because <laughs> to, at the moment I'm like. I get where we're going with this, and I understand the fact that you know, list filter, use a pl- use something that like G Suite that you're familiar with, and then I'm like, okay, now it sounds like we're going to rocket science. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll I'll, I'll I'll try and make it. That, that's a, that's a, to be fair, that's as rocket science as it gets. Good, good, good. I, I'm yeah. on board then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, don't, don't worry. So once once you've done the script editor bit, which is rare, which is okay actually. I mean, you, you're not having to to recode anything. Um, the reason you want to do that is because the way that you set it up in a um, Google Sheet and the foundations with which you start to input data is important because of what comes up at step three. Um, and step three is getting the um, LinkedIn URLs, and it's with something called Phantom Buster. And for anyone who's not familiar with that piece of um, software or that service, I would implore anyone to jump onto Google and Google Phantom Buster. Um, and there's loads of different things there. Basically, it's something that works in the background that's a scraping tool, um, and it can attach itself to your Google Sheet and to LinkedIn and pull all the URLs off to the extent where you might be getting 500 to 1,000 URLs in four or five minutes, which anybody who's done any kind of work on LinkedIn knows that getting LinkedIn URLs, can you can do it, but you have to go one by one by one. This does it for you and saves you days, actually days. So uh, if nothing else that anybody takes from this podcast, Phantom Buster is something to definitely look at. And, and this is just one little, what they call a phantom. Um, this is just LinkedIn, um, LinkedIn social URLs. You can get, there's loads of these things to do with Facebook, Instagram, um, all this kind of thing. It's, really, it's a really, really good piece of software. Definitely something to be, to be, um, uh, to be wary of. Um, but the reason why I, talk, you know, I say to people in step two, filter your data in this way and structure it on a Google Sheet in this way, and I give an example in the book about how to lay it out, Um, the search results for the LinkedIn URLs, if you've done that correctly, will be infinitely better. Right, okay. So I have it in that particular structure. It's not me just being um, pedantic there. So Um, for me right now, LinkedIn is – well, I've been – on LinkedIn, I won't say on LinkedIn. I don't mean just physically. I mean like I'm on it because, for the last year, eighteen months. Because I think it's it's right now it's really coming into its own. It's got you know it's taking all of the good bits from other platforms. You know, with the emotion aspect from mm-hmm. Facebook. Then we when we introduced video last year. Um, now we've got live video, which is being rolled out in certain places. And I think for me. LinkedIn is becoming a more comfortable place for people to build a personal brand on. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've just, you know, you've, you've touched on how we can, you know, we can, we can scrape information from it. And I know I'm, I'm, my mind's blown away with, with that element. Um, because for me, I'm very much a social guy and I, I'm, I, I aim to be social on every platform. So I'm communicating all the time because that's how I, that's how I feel comfortable doing it. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, if there's something out there that can give me, Two, two, three, four, five hundred leads to then go and nurture and have conversations with that are sort of data specific and tested. That would be epic. 
Mm. It, I mean, in terms of the in terms of the resource, then absolutely. I mean, I think there's something like 500 billion active users, but um, I forget who was quoted. I'm, I'm going to just because let's say it was Reid Hoffman himself that actually said that they want to grow it to sort of two or three billion users. So yeah. actually, for LinkedIn to grow um, by a factor of three or four um, in the next um, in the next few years means that. Um, there is certainly potential for growth and significant potential for growth on LinkedIn. And, and even people might say, well, look, LinkedIn's already very noisy already. What it's noisy with is the people that connect with you and then immediately you get a bot style message trying to bug you whatever they were, whatever they represent. Drives me insane. Drives all the time bloody insane. It really does. And I, I've got a lot of people um, within my community who actually fear linkedin and refuse to go on linkedin because they are scared of one how to act and two how they're how they're going to be sold to all the time yeah yeah it, unfortunately i mean there's always going to be um a percentage of bad actors right on any kind of platform any kind yeah. of social platform or anything that you are putting yourself into a position of vulnerability uh, whether you're posting things or whether you're posting videos comments um or whatever it might be, there's always going to be some um, detractor who offers some piece of um, advice, should we say, that hasn't really been asked for. Um, but the point is the platform is there um, to encourage business-to-business -business style conversations, and a lot of the people that you ultimately would want to be speaking with do have profiles there. Whether they're particularly active on them is a different matter, um, but it's definitely something to... to, to um, the, the platform of choice um, from a personal perspective. So it's clear that you've really got a bit of a bug for sales. Yeah, I th I, do you know what it is? I think it's the um, it's the adrenaline rush um, for getting for getting the deal done. That's definitely yeah. it, and actually realizing that um, the the value that you have. Um, can really make a difference uh, to someone's life and actually really believing that because I think the um, the idea of transactional sales um, yeah. still exists um, but it's not something that I um, that, that, that I was ever particularly good at or that interested in um, some people are brilliant at transactional sales and they, they, they know themselves well enough to know that they need a yes every week or every day to kind of keep them motivated. Whereas you've got the other end of the spectrum on the more enterprise sales um, side of things where the sales cycle could be 18 to 24 months and you might get a yes every 24 months, but you work on this one particular deal. Um, it, each their own really um, on, this, on the sales side of things. But because the buyer now is definitely more savvy, um, I think a, I had a quote the other day, um, which was something like the a buyer will have, looked at or been engaged with something like 13 pieces of content or 13 other websites before they reach yours. Um, so they are actually coming to you with a much greater level of understanding and awareness of what their problem is before they even start to engage with a seller. So you as the seller um, need to really understand um, what the buyer is, um, is trying to do. Um, it kind of goes back into the, um, I don't know if you're familiar with um, 
well, I mean, he actually, very unfortunately, recently died, I believe, Clay Christensen, who is a Harvard um, Business School lecturer. And he um, really expanded on the idea of job theory. And job theory is really talking about um, people, customers, individuals, um, they have a certain job to be done. And so they will hire a product or a service or a consulting firm or something in order to get that job done. And what the seller's um, reason for being is, is really understanding what the job is that is needing to be done and positioning themselves as the product or service that can get that job done most effectively and most efficiently. And as soon as you start thinking like that, um, then not only are you seen as a value add, um, but you are in a position of power because you are saying to the buyer, well, Mr. or Mrs. Buyer, you're the one with the problem here. We're trying to diagnose exactly what the problem is, and I'm the one with the solution. And so I'm pretty confident I can fix it for you. Um, but it's uh, that, and so I suppose it goes 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 back to what we briefly discussed when we were off um, off air, which was the academic interest in sales, sales operations, sales enablement, things like that. That's what's that's what I really find interesting. That's what fascinates me, and how you can um, get technology to work better for you. Hence, this particular article outlining exactly um, exactly that point. So, in that case, can I pick your brains on it? Because my reason behind it is there's a lot of people that I know and I work with, and to be fair, I've even put myself in that bracket. Is I enjoy to the sales process, the conversation, being in the room etc etc but i hate being called a salesman and there's the stigma with salesmen you know car salesman swiss tony all of that stuff that they're looking they're just to line their own pockets and not produce value how how do people get over that when you know because a lot of people listening to this they're building a personal brand they're, they may well even be sales executives to be fair let's be fair because before i joined before i started um my business i was working for i was, I was a sales manager uh, a radio station and i was having to sell um advertising space mm-hmm. and um i i needed a way i need literally i needed a way to sell radio and this what i'm now telling you is my chapter in sales genius one i mm-hmm. needed a way to sell radio i needed a way to to bring in those leads and i use social media i use twitter and i use linkedin and i brought them together i had conversations on twitter i gave people love on twitter i then went and connected with the business leader and then the magic was done in a in a, in a nutshell right. so how can do you have any other ways because I mean, there are lots of different ways because you're if you're in you know you're interested in the academics of the sales whether it be tech or whether it be i don't know knocking on people's doors mm. what are your preferred ways you know and how have you found these out i will come i'll answer that because it's, 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 it's an important topic can i, can I just ask you something um you why, is, why why do you hate being referred to or called a salesman because of the perception of other people it's very much you know i'm a salesman and i'm actually quite a good salesman because i care about what i'm selling and what i'm giving i have a lot a lot of times in different roles um it's been very much that um the perception is well you're charging me that i want it for this 
and you know you're just trying to sell me whatever you've got and i'm not i i have a solution there's many deals that i've walked away from and said i'm sorry you're not the right person for me to, to work with um or you know the relationship's not there actually my product won't solve your solution i think there's other things going on um and then there's always that price conversation and i won't budge on price mm-hmm. um not because i'm trying to be arrogant or rude i think my product and service is well well within its um you know the offering and um it, and is and is value for money mm. but it's 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 the cliche you know it's it's a bit like mental health it's the stigma with, mm-hmm. with being a salesman it's it's a it's just that stigma and um i don't know maybe it's a, an insecurity of me or something in my subconscious you know I, i've got bloody hundreds of sales books around me because the mm. subjects the subject interests me um, mm. but from from a psychological and a nurturing and a pers- and a personal perspective I, I do it's ironic because the 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 idea of this podcast is i do all of my sales all of my my business over a brew right okay <laughs> <laughs> that's how i do business i think if we can't tea, it, yeah, it is if we can't do <laughs> tea and, if we can't have tea and cake together is it going to work out yeah good point yeah that's a good point yeah that's that's where i'm at okay well i i think um it, i i i understand the um that point of view because yeah, sometimes you are, um, if you are a sales guy or salesperson, I should say, you are seen as um, potentially as, as an interruption um, to someone's day. Um, but I would ask for any example that anyone could give me where a business um, wasn't grown or scaled without some sort of sales function or some sort of sales capability. And when I say sales capability, I mean the ability to communicate um, value to a stranger that would convert them into a customer. And it doesn't stop there. It's for the value that you pitched them initially to be realized over the next three, six, 12 months after that initial contract has been signed. And that's, I think, the bit that's been forgotten. So the idea of, um, and that's one of the trends that I've seen, not, not recently, but in the last five years or so, um, there being a real focus on not just sales, but the post-sales or the customer success or account management piece um, in businesses, making sure that it is significantly easier to sell to a happy customer and that happy customer um, effectively being your outsourced sales force. Um, getting more business through word of mouth or referrals, as opposed to just bashing the phone. So I think um, for someone to be, for their skin to crawl a little bit at the idea of sales or the idea of them being referred to a salesperson and they prefer, I don't know what, um, what label they prefer to be known as, a consultant perhaps, or um, I, I don't know, I don't know what the alternative is. Um, <laughs> the risk of sounding glib, Almost, it's a well. Get over it because it's 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 a necessary part of any business. Um, and if you are the one that can do it and embraces that particular label and are known in your industry and having, as you talked about this, this personal brand of being a good, trustworthy, and that's important, really important word, salesperson, um, then you've got some serious currency. Um, and it's one that you want to um, to try and maintain and, uh, and nurture for as long as one possibly can. 
for me, I think you hit the nail on the head with the one with the, the that one five letter word that begins with a T, trust. Because mm. there's again with that stigma with regards to sales, people think there are no trustworthy salespeople out there. I am a salesperson's dream because I I love to buy. Right. <laughs> yeah, I am a shopaholic. I mean, okay. my other half will tell you. I mean, I went out today to a client meeting and came back with a gift for her. <laughs> Has that got anything to do with it being this particular day, though? No, I'd already, it... done, I'd already done I that. I already done that. Oh, right, okay. okay. I just well, knew she had her eye on it, and I was like, oh, okay. No, okay. Valent- I'd done the Valentine's thing already. <laughs> oh, good. I'm just lethal when it comes to, oh, yeah. I'm like a magpie. <laughs> And that's, I think that's a good, I think it's a good point that I bring up there is because there are actually people out there who want to buy things. Absolutely. And and it's not just a, um, it's not that they just want to buy it, that they want to, it's that they need to buy it. Right. And, and so I'm, um, I'm perhaps slightly different to you in terms of every time I pick up any kind of uh, product or, or think about a service, I will always, without fail, and subconsciously go through in my mind, and I will ask myself, do I want this or do I need it? And, yeah. if, I, and if it's a different, if, if I don't need it but I want it, I don't buy it. But if I, um, if I need it and I don't want it, I'll buy it. Um, it because it might be something like, well, I need life insurance. I don't want it, but I need it um, because it's a dull thing to buy. Whereas um, a new pair of... Um, um, jeans or trainers or something like that you know i don't need them but i want them um so yeah i'm, I'm slightly different with that but in, in a professional capacity um you know some of these big companies that are maybe looking to uh migrate from on-premise to cloud in their digital transformation strategy they have to buy um service providers that can uh not only um transform that environment but run it afterwards um doesn't sound like a hugely interesting purchase, but it's necessary. Um, and there needs to be um, salespeople um, at the right stage of the sales process, uh, which a business is able to map out, that can that the buyer can only get over the next stage or the next hurdle with the help of the salesperson. So actually, salespeople have um, have an incredibly important role in any business, is my view, and. The idea that they're being replaced by machines or everything's being automated, I, I think, is a misnomer. I think it's complete and utter rubbish. I don't think yeah. any robot will ever cha- will will ever replace a salesperson. Right. You know, cause, and no robot will be able to make a, a buying decision. So we're all we're all we've all got jobs still. <laughs> well, this this is so it's the, it's the human elements that makes sales what it is, and that's what makes the the really good salespeople, the consistently top performers. It's the idea that their ability to follow a sales process um, <clears throat> and have a really good understanding of their market, but also have a, a very high level of EQ um, and understanding how to interact with the particular buyer who is in the persona for that company. So if this company knows their buyer personas, i.e. that they've mapped out who their ideal client is, if the salesperson knows how to um, interact on a very deep level with that type of buyer, then that particular salesperson does very well at that company. Um, And this might be selling transformation services, but then they could be complete crap at selling widgets because it's just not them. 
So that's why sales are so interesting because it can accommodate so many different um, personalities. Um, and as a sales leader and having trained, I don't know how many salespeople from um, absolute novices to um, honing some skills on some quite developed um, uh, men and women, um, it's it's amazing. So that's I, you know it's um, it's never been something that I've ever really wanted to turn my back on. So that you really, you just led into a question I was going to ask you, which was what does actually make a good salesperson? You've mentioned the human element. You mentioned EQ, Patrick. <laughs> following the process personality what for you makes this you know your your next sales hire who are you what are you looking for um i think it's a um just it's an obvious ability to um stick to a sales process i think um for any business that is looking to um scale properly and scale effectively needs to have it starts with their sales process and it's people that are um, have the ability to follow that process, um, and I, so that's that's definitely one thing. The other is um, is mindset. Now I talk about this. I I, I perhaps don't give the topic enough um, page space in the uh, in the book, but it's really for a salesperson. It's um, understanding the things that you are in control that you have control over worrying about those things don't worry about the things that you don't have control over so for example you have control over how many people you contact your day-to-day activities how you structure your day how many people you reach out to what you don't have control over is when particular businesses set their budgets or how much a particular Department from their um, from their top code, how much budget gets allocated to them. That's not something that you can control, but you can control how you um, how you uh, administer your time on a day to day basis. Um, and the other thing that I would look for, for some, if I was looking to hire people who may be um, novice or six to twelve months experience, um, the the phrase that I always think of myself is um, uh, hire for attitude, train for skill. Ah. Um, because you can you can you can teach um, the sales methodology of that company. You can teach skills, tactics, things like that. But if, if they've got the wrong attitude um, and sales isn't for them, then you need to cut your losses. But I think um, hiring for attitude, training for skill, um, sees you through. So on on that note then, because people will be saying, okay, so what's the right attitude for sales then? What what should I be considering, thinking, feeling when it comes to having the, the correct attitude to to be a, a decent salesperson in my business? One thing that I um, that I've adopted relatively recently, actually, um, and as as you and you and I both being British, we, we might sort of squirm a little bit of this, um, the, <laughs> but it's um it's the idea of positive affirmations. Yep. And um, so the idea of actually saying out loud every single day certain things that you want to achieve, that you're grateful, um, and, and these are these are very personal to, to people. They, they could be five or ten different things. Um, you know, so I'm very grateful for a roof over my head, or I'm very grateful for this, or um, I'm to put it very simply, I'm the best salesperson in my company, or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, 
Because if you get into the habit of saying these, it's amazing how quick um, that those habits become reality and you're visualizing um, all the impacts that um, positive visualization can have on your everyday life. And I don't really, I don't really buy into karma, um, but I buy into trying your best to, to try and stack the deck in your favor and through positive affirmation um, and through um, other such ways of positive mindset that can significantly help. I mean, the idea of um, you know eating right, getting enough sleep, um, limiting alcohol intake, all, all those sorts of stuff, uh, then, then I'll, I'll sort of leave those. I mean, obviously they do have a contributing factor, but um, I think being able to really have a um, a handle on your emotions and especially your disruptive emotions. There's a um, there's an author that I'd recommend anyone to read if they haven't done already called um, Jeff Blount. Uh, Jeff Blunt, who is a but it's spelled Blount, um, is an American chap who's written uh, a number of books. Um, one of which Fanatical Prospecting talks about disruptive emotions, and he's got a new one coming out. I think it's available in the UK in March. Um, but he talks about disruptive emotions and how salespeople um, let emotions get the better of them, then they lose the sale. Um, yep. Easier said than done, but um, that's that. They're, 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 it's it's um, it's it's what's going on between your ears. I think that you need to get a handle on. That's one of the one of the major things. I I completely agree. In, um, yeah, it's funny you mentioned about being British. You know, I I I talk woo woo stuff all the all the time. That's why that's my right. reference is woo woo. Um, <laughs> I am very much into the power of I am. If I could, because I hit this. You know, so many people out there who are spouting negativity, and actually, we are the first person who is going to hear what we say. Mm. So why would we say say these things out loud that are not? having a positive impact on our life our business our sales our marketing or whatever it might be mm. and saying i'm not very good at this or mm. oh, it frustrates me uh, because people just don't quite get it sometimes mm. oh, absolutely and it's the um it, it's the discipline of being able to um to make sure that you do this um every day so every morning you do these kind of um habitual things and i would say about after you do it for three, the first three weeks of trying to adopt a new habit is the ones where people fall off. Once you've done it for three weeks, it's usually ingrained. Um, and that discipline thing, I've been able to um, to bring into my sales career because when I'm not doing um, when I'm not doing all the sales stuff, um, I compete as a bodybuilder. So that whole um, uh, disciplined side of life um, is directly and inextricably linked to sales i think because it invites um an opportunity for you not only to be disciplined but to compartmentalize um your day into um our block so your productivity is significantly enhanced um and that, that, that's um that's just, just, just an aside but it can be it's, it's uh, been very effective for me it's really interesting because um the, the synergies so you're a salesman um i'm a salesman used to be a salesman you're a bodybuilder i used to be a bodybuilder um i had a bodybuilder on the po- on the podcast yesterday who has given okay. up bodybuilding but is is now running more focused his business and it all links to sales yeah um, and you're you're absolutely right with regards to the health and fitness game discipline if you can t- it's really funny because i was actually hired 
um, on off the back of being a bodybuilder for a sales role. When I left the police, I'll just share this short story with you. When I left the police, I applied for 70 different jobs after 10 years in the police. Mm-hmm. And I just I did, couldn't get a foot in the door because we all thought his ex-job, he's going to get, he's gonna, he'll be in here for a bit. And then when he finds something he really wants, he'll be off. Mm. And I sat down with a gentleman who was a platinum partner of a of, of, of a Vodafone, um, yeah, Vodafone platinum partner. And we had a conversation and he said to me, you just need someone to give you a chance, don't you? And I said, mm. yes, I do. He said, well, if you can if you can implement the discipline you've got with your bodybuilding, because I was actually dieting for a show at the time. Mm-hmm. He said, if you can implement that into your sales, he goes, I'm happy to take a risk on you or a chance okay. on you. Yeah. I went, OK, thank you very much. Mm. Um and then I, I worked in his shops for six months before I left because I was bored to death. And then I went back in with them as a, as a B2B um, business manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and, and, and I did. I took all of those transferable skills from bodybuilding and used that mindset and, you know, routine and habit and, you know, and getting my calls done and, and my, keeping on top of my diary and all of that stuff. And just mm-hmm. transferring all those things into into my sales role and it's the same now i look at my business now and a lot of the things i've done is i've taken my transferable skills from a, as a police officer with regards to communication I, I put that through my social and my marketing and that's built up my own system and plans interesting. it's fascinating yeah. Very cool. so based on systems and plans and processes what is a, a is there a typical sales process to, for someone to go through? Uh, are there fundamental things that they must do? Because a lot of people who have, you know, small to medium sized businesses who have decided I'm leaving my day job. I'm going to go and follow my dreams. I'm going to go and run this business. And they've never sold a thing in their life. Yeah, um, I don't think there is a um, there is a sales process that you could use as a cookie cutter for every single business. Um, it, it is totally dependent on uh, the market that you're in, the stage, of, uh, the size of company that you are, um, and uh, so no. I mean, for, for a public listed software company like Intel, uh, would be entirely different to a, um, a startup business who've got four or five people and their customers, right? Um, but the way that one would, um, the, the way that one could start to uncover this, I would recommend. Um, is really starting with trying to uncover um, customer jobs. So it brings it back to this job theory that I was talking about. Um, So really trying to understand and researching your customer base as you would with a buyer persona research, Um, but trying to understand um, what makes these particular people, what you think is going to make these particular people um, uh, buy and who is actually going to be buying from you, you know, what are buyers' challenges? How are they measured? Understand this from their perspective, because the process has to map the customer buying journey. Okay. So if you're actively researching the process someone goes through when deciding to buy, um, this, then this is going to give you a, um, a much better steer on what your sales process should be, because um, selling is about buying. Now that sounds a little bit ridiculous thing to say, but what I mean by that is, um, you need, with any sales playbook codification, we have to start with an intimate understanding of who the buyer is. We can then build the buyer journey and then your sales process can map that buyer journey. Um, and um, I suppose that, I mean, I could, talk, I could talk for ages about this, but I suppose 
the simple framework for a buyer journey. And for people listening to this who might want to really understand that, there's three key areas um, or uh, three key sort of um, buckets in a buyer journey. The first one is awareness. Um, so this would be where um, what the problem is, you know, the opportunities that the buyer is prioritizing. You know, so they're having a little look around. They've realized they've got a little bit of a problem, um, but they're at very early stages. The second one would be, would be consideration. Um, so this is the buyer looking at different categories of ways to solve this problem. Um, so is it then developing a workaround solution? Um, or do they need to buy a product or a service? Do they need to hire a consulting firm? Whatever it might be. And then the third one is the decision category. And so this is where the buyer has chosen that, okay, it needs to be a product or it needs to be a consulting firm or a service or something like that. But then they're going to be asking themselves, how do I make this decision? What am I looking for in the firm? Um, what, what, what's the product looking for? You know, is this service, am I looking at things um, like cost, reputation, track record, um, all, those, all those kind of things? Because you need to understand all of these perspectives and we need to understand where the buyer is on this journey and then you can start to tailor your approach to fit this particular part of the journey. Because if we understand this concept, we can now design a sales process that assists the buyer through the journey from one part of the framework to the next. Because whilst there might be three different prospects who are very good fit for your product or service, the pitch will be completely different because of where they are in the journey. Yeah. And this gets you what's called a customer-centric sales process. And if you achieve that, a customer-centric sales process, um, then that's one that can be um, embedded into the business and work. Do you know what? That's really, really, really important. And it, I, I, a lot of listeners will be, be like, okay, that, that sounds a bit heavy, hard going, never heard of it before, or actually completely get it. But what I want to share with everybody is this is the process that if they go into Facebook and they go to set up their ads process, this is the process that you go through when you're setting up Facebook ads. And the first process is always awareness. I say to people all the time, if people don't know who you are, why on earth? Are they going to buy from you? Mm. And, it, you know, I don't I don't personally think sales is complicated. I think what what appears to be complicated with a lot of people is what goes on, like you said earlier, in their head and between the, their ears. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's, um, you know, there's there's something called the um, for anyone that's interested, there's something called the um, uh, pirate metrics. Um, which is um, the what metric? Sorry, uh, pirate. Thank pirate you, Patrick. Um, um, it's credited to a chap called um, Dave Butler. Um, but basically, this uh, and they're called pirate because um, there's three A's and three R's. Um, so, <laughs> so that's why they call the pirate metrics. But the first one to start with, um, I believe, is awareness, and then it goes into acquisition, um, and then it goes uh, awareness. Um, acquisition, yeah, then activation, then uh, referral, retention, and, um, and and something else. The, the point being that they create a funnel, and that's the funnel that your marketing efforts need to take. Because exactly as you said, Steve, it's um, it starts with awareness. You need to know why. You need to know. You need to make people aware of who you are, but you also need to um, make them care about who you are. Yes. Why they should care. 
yeah. uh, and then it filters down. And using that framework again is um, can be really effective. It's, do you know what? I can sit and chat with you about sales all day long? Are really really good it's 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 really refreshing because you you know we went we started off really techie we've now gone into sort of you know the academic side that you you really really like mm. the question i'm gonna i want to sort of wrap things up with is what makes what doesn't make us a good salesperson what are what are the traits that you see the people out there doing that are just not good and are fundamentally losing them sales and business um i think one of the things is a um is not a commitment to better themselves. Right, okay. Um, so that's an attitude thing. Um, so that's, and that, that can be crippling, and not only for them as an individual, but um, um, that can be the, uh, that can poison the well um, for, for, for the rest of the team. Um, I think fretting, and also fretting about the things you can't control. I gave the example about you can't control bud- how much budget someone gets internally. Um, the fretting about things that you can't control. I've seen I've seen people get really really stressed um, around that kind of um, around that kind of thing. And actually, do you know what? One thing which is um, which is very specific, but um, I think you actually asked me a question about kind of first places to start and whether it be um, I think I think you said sort of an email or call or something like that. I, yeah. I would always call someone first, by the way, as, as sort of the first touch point would be a phone call um, and. We don't have time to go on about cold calling, but obviously it's where I started, and it's um, it's uncomfortable until you realise you just have to get over it and get on with it. Um, yeah. But I remember um, uh, at an old business, um, a um, a uh, a female colleague of mine was um, it was she she was quite new to the whole sales thing, um, and um, she had a couple of um, calls that had gone okay. And I was coaching her through them, and then she got one call, um, which the um, the guy on the other end of the phone was um, was was pretty was was downright rude, actually, unfortunately. And you could see her; it just affected her immediately. And I just said to her, as soon as she put the phone down, I said, "Right, pick the phone up immediately and call someone else." No, I don't want to. No, and she said something rather rude. And I said, "No, I'm telling you, you need to do it now." So she finally she did it within about. 20 seconds and then got someone on the phone who was really nice to her and then she put that put finished that phone call which um, um, turned into into a meeting Uh, and I said right the reason why I told you to do that was because if you'd let that um, bloke on the other end of the phone get into your head that would have put you off for ages and you would have found anything to do other than your sales calls. But now your last view is of someone who was really nice on the phone, which demonstrates how quickly um, sales can change. And your last memory before you go home tonight will be someone um, really nice on the phone as opposed to a complete asshole. Superb. I love it. It's been fascinating and I'm, I'm, i really do want to dive more into you but we're going we're heading on for an hour and i've got a few other questions we've been chatting for ages yeah, okay. <laughs> so what would you wish you'd done when you first started out with regards to sales what is if there's something you wish you'd done first differently better i don't know what would it be um one thing is to um get into the habit of um creating a list of every single deal that you've done um, so having a document a running document across all jobs that you end up doing outlining 
um, how much the contract was worth, um, what the sales cycle was, um, who the customer was, and what the problem was that your company that you represented solved, that, and having that as a running document. Um, because when it comes to personal brand interviewing, if you can pull that out, um, then that's because very quickly you'll have pages and pages and pages of every single deal that you've ever done, which is incredible, which is an incredibly important piece of um, piece of work. Um, and the second one is every time that you have done one of those deals, make sure that you are asking for a um, uh, a, a testimonial letter written on the headed paper of the company that you've sold to, signed by your customer. And then start to put that in a um, in a, a, a ring a, a ring ring folder or some sort of folder or something like that. Again, um, after five, ten years, something like that, the repository of your own individual work um, yeah. will be incredibly valuable, and actually, probably um, um, you wouldn't be able to put a price on it. Sounds fantastic. Do you know what? It's it's really interesting because I'm sat here as you're saying that. I was like, God, all if I'd done that. I mean, I and, I and I had 10 years out of the sales game when I was in the police. But before and after, I'm thinking, you know, I've worked with some really great businesses, um, some really great clients, um, some big, you know, international brands. Um, and, and we don't take enough testimonial work. It's, it's ironic. We just don't. And it's referrals, right? I mean, we talk yeah. about lead gen and we talk about getting new customers on. Happy customers and asking for referrals and things like that um, is... I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's a much more straightforward way of getting business. And just as one one final thing for me, when you're asking for referrals, look, ask for a specific number of referrals. And I always like to say, um, do you know five people that you could refer me to, knowing that that might be a little bit toppy, but you're perfectly happy with them settling on three. Um, it's just that human nature way of um, overshooting exactly what you want, and then actually you're, you're, the number that you want is three, but you go for five and you go to negotiate down. Cool. What are you curious about right now? Um, a couple of um, actually, I suppose there's one thing. So um, I don't talk about this in the chapter at all, but it's the idea of bringing video software into the prospecting process, um, and whether it be um, uh, video-based marketing or uh, video-based emailing. Um, and how impactful that's going to be. So to kind of give you some examples, um, a particular service called BombBomb, which is B-O-M-B, B-O-M-B, um, is a video market, uh, video emailing. Um, so it basically embeds the um, video in place of an email, and it's just a very different way of receiving an email for someone um, because it, it's, it allows you to bring, it humanizes you, because yep. you're able to utilize um, body language, um, facial expression, and you can see inflections in your voice, which um, are lost over email. And you don't have the problem of emails being uh, misconstrued if you do it with a video. Um, and then there are a couple of other um, video um, pieces of software when you're running through proposals or documents or um, anything like that, um, which are Bit different as well. One's called Vidyard, which is V-I-D-Y-A-R-D, um, and then there's a Danish company called Twenty Three, and so they actually spell out Twenty Three, not numerically. Um, and it's it's um, understanding uh, the impact of those videos over and above more 
um, more traditional forms of outreach, i.e. email and, um, and vocal. So I'm looking to incorporate those a lot more into my own business development efforts um, for sales and startups. I think video is absolutely fundamental with regards to with anything to do with, with sales. Um, you know, everything is primarily video based. I mean, I was I held off doing the podcast because I'm so front facing with video. Um, and it was like, OK, I'm going to video the podcast. And I was like, well, actually, no, because I want the, the, the I want the medium of audio to be different to the videos we're putting out. So I, I purposely don't video this. Um, but what we do, what I do afterwards is I make a, I make a summary video um, so we can, you know, people who, who want to watch something, it's me talking to camera and pulling things in. Um, okay. But it, it gives them an, another way to look at that. Um, and it's another way of me getting the podcast out to people and drawing traffic to it. Absolutely. So you mentioned books earlier. And obviously yeah. you're in a book. What, what, are, you, what are your go-tos for, uh, you know, for your, for your own knowledge? Um, I actually noticed a couple of these down uh, before we jumped on the call, actually. So um, um, there's, there's three authors who I particularly like. Um, one is Jeb Blount, who I talked about, who's um, he's written, I'm not sure how many books, at least 10. And so he's a really good, uh, really good resource. Um, another one is Mark Hunter. Um, he did a... Um, I think his most recent book was called High Level Prospecting. Uh, and this focuses on the prospecting element of, um, of sales, which a lot of people obviously are interested in because that's where they get leads from, where they get initial business from. Um, that's a really good resource. And then the other one, which I really liked, which was written by the ex-chief um, revenue officer of HubSpot, which is a CRM provider. Um, yep. He's now a lecturer at the Harvard Business School. Is Mark, uh, is Mark Roberge. Um, uh, he's got something called the sales acceleration formula, which is perhaps more, um, uh, it's more aimed at sales leaders as opposed to account execs. Um, but that's, uh, that's an incredibly interesting, uh, book because that talks about how HubSpot grew to, well, zero to a hundred million, um, annual recurring revenue. Wow. Um, so that, that's, and that's, that's really interesting. That's, that's worth the read. Um, so they've been my sort of relatively recent um, books, but because because that sort of academic interest in sales, as you mentioned at the beginning, I'm quite a voracious reader and I'm a, a literature graduate from university, so that, that whole sort of side of things it isn't really a chore, it's more of a pleasure to actually consume this knowledge, in, um, but in book form or audible, of course. Fantastic. Um, I, they're on my list. I've got, I've got them on my notes straight away. Great. Finally, how do you take your tea? <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just milk. No sugar. No sugar. No, no, no. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's because I'm, I'm taking a bit of accent from yourself, but it's maybe because I'm from the south. Uh, right. Maybe I'm just uh, yeah, just milk, no sugar. All right, I'll let you off then. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the right answer? Yeah, no problem at all. <laughs> we'll take that one because my next question is: Is there something I should have asked you but I haven't? Uh, is there something else? Um, do you know what? Maybe some some 2020 trends that I'm seeing. Um, there's probably uh, there's probably three that I've noticed already in 2020. Uh, one right. is um, so 
initial meetings um, secured with swag. So whether it be like, for example, me sending a copy of Sales Genius 2 and Sales Genius 1 on behalf of James and myself um, to particular businesses that we want to go and help um, as this kind of lumpy mail style thing, um, that can often secure first meetings. So I'm seeing more people do that, which is quite interesting. Yeah. Um, I've seen more peer-based learning and coaching being on the rise. Um, so salespeople to salespeople helping each other in sales meetings as opposed to managers to salesperson. Um, and I think that's that um, element of teamwork, I think, is, uh, is definitely on the rise, which is a very good thing, especially uh, it encourages a more collaborative and open culture. And we all know that having a good working culture is um, is a very hard thing to create, but a very easy thing to um, to, to, to lose. Absolutely. Um, and the other thing is um, a slightly different um, department, which is, I think the, the term is more mature in the States, but it's, um, so it's still in its infancy in the UK, which is um, the rise of sales operations and sales enablement um, and the idea of equipping the sales team with the right things at the right time, equipment to be able to sell better. Um, they become, or they are becoming critical hires for businesses. Um, and just the idea of having a, a job type of a sales enablement um, head or something like that is becoming more and more common, um, which I'm finding interesting. So they're probably sort of the three trends that I'm seeing thus far in, in what the first six weeks of 2020. Patrick, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on the podcast. Where can everyone find out more about you? Um, so the best place to go is um, the Sales for Startups website, which is www.salesforstartups.co.uk. Um, uh, as I said, we are a sales consultancy service that um, works specifically with technical founders um, of B2B SaaS companies who are in the seed to Series C um, level of funding and want to rapidly scale their revenue. Um, we've done this now for over uh, 50 businesses um, and yeah, the, um, all contact details are, um, are, uh, are on there. And obviously um, in the book as well. So go and buy it either um, on Amazon or on Kindle um, and contact details, links in your own, things like that are in there too. And just to get another plug in there for the book at Sales Genius number two. That's the one. Awesome. It's been fantastic to have you on, Patrick. I'm very, very grateful for your time and your attention, and I wish you all the well, all the best for 2020. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Stephen, for that. No problem at all. Take care Cheers. now. Bye-bye. Wow, my friends. So, has your head exploded? Mine certainly has. There was so much to take in in that episode of the podcast. I mean, literally going from how... Patrick talked about how he raised money for movies and franchises, how he talked through systems and processes. He then dived into LinkedIn and how you can work with LinkedIn to build your sales. He then touched on the academic level of sales and it just absolutely blew my mind. What I found really, really interesting was what actually makes a good salesperson. And actually, the fundamental basics are very, very simple, but it's what people miss. What I found really interesting also was what you should not do in sales. And then when you went on to like the buyer's journey and, you know, the pirate metrics and also then we rounded off with the trends for 2020. I think you'll agree it was a very, very deep and intense podcast. What you need to do now is go back to the beginning, notebook in hand 
put that kettle on and you need to be going through the podcast again taking out what you need the nuggets you need and even if you just take one thing from it at least go away implement that and you'll see changes in your sales process and your sales in general in your business as always my friends it's been an absolute pleasure So my friends, remember to take a screenshot of this episode and tag me in your Instagram stories and your tweets at Mr. Steve Thompson. And don't forget to use the hashtag TeaWithSteve. Also, let me know where you're tuning in from. We want to know how far across this planet we are impacting a billion lives. And let me know how this episode has had an impact on you. If you haven't already, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could leave me a rating and review on iTunes because it really does help us to reach more people so we can help them build their heart brand and build the business of them. Enjoy the rest of your week. It is full of opportunities. Remember, be authentic, have an impact and continue to grow. Take care, my friends. I'll see you on the next episode.